0: Good morning, Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston, and I'm by myself today. Charlie is not here, and I got a busy day. I got a couple interviews after this show, plus we're dealing with some market news that's going to be coming out here pretty soon, so a lot of stuff going on. And on top of that, I jam packed today's episode with a ton of content. So there's a couple stories regarding a couple shootings, the one at Highland Park, going to talk a little bit about the one in Akron, Ohio. So we're going to go through that. And uh, also, looks like I'm going to be continuing to deal with a few audio issues while that's happening as well. Maybe I'll have to figure that out before we get into the interview process later. Anyway, if this is your first time listening, uh, go back and listen to a different episode where the two of us are here uh, talking back and forth with one another. It's it's a lot more fun. I can guarantee you that. But to make sure you do that, smash that follow button, smash that subscribe button, tell a friend, tell a family member about good morning, liberty, life, liberty, in the pursuit of meeting every single day of the week when we want to, especially when I want to. That's actually the main qualifier. Okay, so a couple things. First things we're going to talk about today. We know about that shooting on the 4th of July. Robert Cremo, I will say his name, even though some people make, make it an annoying, crazy point about not saying the person's name, and I understand it, but if you're just going to talk about it and talk about it and talk about every single thing that has to do with this shooter over and over again, and you're just going to keep mentioning that, but I'm not saying his name, I don't know, kind of a weird thing to me. Kind of just sounds like you're making, trying to make a point. But anyway, we'll get past that point. There's been some information that's come out that I thought was pretty interesting. So first off, was he MAGA or not? Was he, was he a Trump supporter? I don't know. I will tell you is not exactly, you know, if I were to pick out your average Trump supporter, um, I don't know that he fits the exact description that would come up in my mind of your typical Trump supporter. But looks can be deceiving. Uh, So you can't just look at, you know, the way he looks and decide that he's not a Trump supporter. He comes off to me as more of a guy who was just kind of trolling all the different movements. I don't exactly know uh, what, what he was, and I'm not sure he knew exactly what he was. You know, the other part that matters about this conversation is that that doesn't really matter because we've seen plenty of shooters come from all sorts of different political backgrounds. And of course, anyone's going to try and score any points as often as they can. But the responsibility lies with the individual to not be a crazy person. Of course, everyone in the media will use whatever they can to make Trump look as terrible as possible. People on the right look as terrible as possible. You don't have to do that. Trump does enough on his own to make himself look as bad as possible. But, but but, anyway, I mean, the guy just, he's, I wouldn't say he's exactly radiating MAGA when I look at the photos or anything. I, I automatically assume he's making fun of it, but who knows? There's a few things about this. One thing that really bothered me, one thing that bothers me about this, because we always try to figure out who is responsible, or if you're on the left, you try to figure out what's responsible, and it's always the gun. Pretty much always the gun that's responsible, or it could be white supremacy that's responsible, or it could be Trump that is responsible. But we typically will land on the gun. You guys know guns; they're super, super violent things that just they're just itching to get out there and commit mass murders. Of course, uh, but all jokes aside, it's clearly the responsibility of the individual. I also think that some responsibility lies with family and friends. Now, we are no fan of red flag laws. I'm not a fan of the fact that in Illinois, you've got to get that Foyd card to be able to get a gun. We, we don't like that. I, I don't think that you need to ask the government for permission to be able to defend yourself. But when you are in Illinois and all those things are in place... And what we constantly hear after something like this happens is that we need to have gun control. We need somehow, I'm sure there's people pushing for background checks on this, even though we passed like four background checks, Uh, the 21 and up thing. I mean, he was 21. I do believe he was 19 or 20 when he uh, first got some of the guns, but still could have gotten one after he turned 21. And then the red flag laws, of course, we have to have those red flag laws, which Illinois also does have. There's one disturbing part about this story, where if you wanted to place any responsibility on anyone other than the shooter, which is where it obviously goes to first, the guy's family kind of bothers me here. Because they had this thing going on in 2019 where police were called a couple times. One time uh, when he was threatening suicide. Another time in September 2019, when they were called after he was making threats to kill everyone. At that point, the cops respond. Remember, this is in September. The cops respond. They take about 16 knives from the house. They later bring them back because the dad said that they were his knives. That was in September 2019. In December of 2019, the guy's father co-signs on a Foyd card in Illinois to help him get his Foyd card. December of 2019. Now, first off, we prefaced with, I don't like the Foyd card thing. I don't think you need to ask for permission to be able to defend yourself, all right? But when those systems are in place, and these are the systems that people continue to say are going to solve all of our problems, why don't they solve our problems? That's a really big question because there seemed to be ample evidence for a red flag law use case here. Not that I would condone that. Uh, Father co-signed on a Foyd card Okay, that seems to be a problem. A few months before that he threatened to kill everyone and the cops were called. And uh then he gets his FOI card later, the guns are purchased legally, four background checks, and then this happens. No red flag laws, uh you know, no one trying to get the guns taken away afterwards, nothing like that. So like, uh, like our friend Alex Abernathy posted earlier today, if, if red flag laws work, then why don't they work? You know Why wasn't this used? It seemed to be pretty obvious. If background checks work, then, then why don't they work? When, when all the way down to your parents know that you have issues and know the cops have been called and know that you made threats to kill cool people, and then a few months later they co-sign on a card when you're 19 for you to be able to get guns... The responsibility lies with the person who did this, but also I know the guy's parents are feeling really bad and not to throw any more heat onto them, but they should be feeling just a little bit, just a little bit of heat to put it mildly. So those are my thoughts on that whole situation. Of course, we continue to see that we have to ban assault weapons, going to keep calling for assault weapons bans because that's going to stop people from being able to get assault weapons, of course. I believe they were banned in Highland Park, but of course you can just go somewhere else and get them. Um, Also, isn't it kind of weird that with this whole abortion conversation going on, I keep hearing that, uh, you know, when you ban abortions, it's not going to stop people from having them. It's just going to make them illegal abortions, black market abortions, all that. But if you ban this thing where there's tens of millions of them out there for people to get their hands on, they're not going to be there anymore. Come on, y'all. Make a good argument at least one time. I just need a good argument. The next story here, because I do have three actual articles that are going to be pertaining to economics. So I do want to move on to this shooting of Jalen Walker in Akron, Ohio. Now this happened a little bit ago, but there's still protests going on. So still protests going on currently. I'm sure you've heard the story. And of course you've heard how many times the guy was shot there were estimated a total of 90 shots fired and estimated uh, he was hit 60 times by the, from eight police officers, I believe. That's too many. Right, that seems, uh, that's, that's, that's too much. I will, I will agree with that. That seems a little bit overboard. But one thing that's slightly annoying about this conversation is the way that it's being presented to people. Now, this was a, a traffic stop, basically. It's a high likelihood I disagree with the reason the guy was getting pulled over. Really high likelihood. In fact, I can basically tell you that I disagree with the way, for the reason that the guy was getting pulled over. Even though I looked all over today, I can't figure out the exact traffic infraction. It could have been made up because I used to get pulled over for made up reasons all the time. It's a it's it's a thing. My car matched the description of a stolen vehicle all the time. So yeah, we'll we'll figure out if it was an actual thing. But anyway, the reaction to this it hasn't been truthful. That, that's been the problem. The way the story is being presented, it hasn't been truthful. And I'll show you the kind of reaction I was looking looking at different ones, and I found one that basically just encompassed the whole idea with what you're getting on Twitter. This is what I found out about the shooting. I didn't really see much news about it or anything, but this is what I kept seeing. This is from Bishop Talbert Swan posting. His name is Jalen Walker. Eight Akron, Ohio cops fired 90 bullets at him, hitting him 60 times throughout his entire body. The cops pulled him over for a traffic violation. He was 25. He was a DoorDash driver. He was unarmed. He was murdered. Okay. Okay. Before we go into the rest of the story, I'll say one more time, I probably disagree with the reason that they pulled him over, and I definitely think that uh, the use of force w- w- was a bit too much here. It was a bit too much, but I hate to tell everyone that's in Akron, Akron Ohio, uh, this is going to come down as a justifiable shoot on the part of the cops. It's just going to. I would, T.W., are right. I would say that I'm against death. Thank you. This is the founding members of Antida over here. We are against death. We do not like it. We like to have the least amount of death that there possibly could be. I would prefer that this guy was apprehended uh, peacefully and was taken into custody, and then I guess he would be charged with running from the police or whatever. Now, according to these to these posts, and this is the the basic this is the basic body of all of the posts unarmed, pulled over for a traffic violation, shot 60 times. That's what you gather from the conversations on Twitter. Okay. Is there anything else? If you're going to like inform people about the story, is there anything else that's necessary when informing people about the story? Okay. How about uh, he fired a gun out the window at the police while they were in a pursuit that at one point he got up to about 80 miles an hour. I think it was normally around like 45 miles an hour. So how about when they pulled him over for the traffic violation, he ran, they had a pursuit for about a minute. He fired a gun out the window at the police. And then when they did finally catch up to him, he jumped out of the car and ran uh, through a, through a field. Does I understand that there is a character limit on Twitter, but I suspect that that's not the reason that it was left out from the post. But would that be important context for people to know? So, and what what some people are like, what a Big Gus just posting. So here's the deal. Cops are going to fire until the threat is gone. There's eight cops there. They all thought the same thing at the same time. Maybe a couple jumped in late, and, uh, and uh, no doubt that might have happened. I, I doubt they all pulled their triggers at the exact same time. Maybe a couple people jumped in afterwards because they wanted to get some shots out. That's, that's highly, I would say, likely that that happened. But the fact that he was shot 60 times has nothing to do with whether or not this was justified or not justified. It doesn't. If it was one cop there and they shot him eight times, was this justified? Now, it turns out that when he got out of his car and he ran, he left the gun in the car. So he was technically unarmed. But did they know that? I know that with the benefit of hindsight, we know that he was unarmed. This is a libertarian podcast. We're not exactly uh, the most pro-everything-the-police-do kind of people, but I am very interested in the proper context of the situation being presented. So when people uh, talk about whatever their ideas are on the situation, it's based on all the information. And I worry that not everyone has all the information. Because if I heard that there was a guy that was pulled over for a traffic violation that was unarmed, and he somehow got shot 60 times, well, that sounds pretty insane, now, doesn't it? How the heck did that happen? That is something worth protesting over. And he was delivering for DoorDash with a ski mask on, shooting the gun out of his car. It's not your typical DoorDash driver, but, you know. Okay, so... This is what bothers me about it because we could have a conversation about the use of force with police, we could talk about actual police reform, we could have criminal justice reform, we could have all these conversations, but whenever we get this situation right here and we get this narrative out there to the people, then we're having different conversations with one another. And I want to talk to all the people that are upset about the different ways that we can reform the criminal justice system and we can make policing better for everyone. And I would love to have that conversation with everyone. But I'm not going to have it based on a false narrative. So we have to fix this narrative first. And when we're arguing about two different situations, one of them which happened and one of them did not happen, it's very hard to come to a consensus with everyone. Now, this is likely going to be a justified shoot because cops are saying that he made a motion towards his waistband and looked like he could have been turning around the shoot. I've watched, uh, I don't know if anyone's ever watched the show body cam. I saw, I think it was on body cam, a guy running away from cops and put the gun behind his back while he was running, pulled the trigger and shot the cop that was chasing him in the head dead immediately. So you can't just say that because someone was running that they can't pose a deadly threat to someone. They can. He had already shot at the police with his gun, which he for sure had because it was still in the car. Let's just have a let's just have the proper conversation. Now, I wanted to play this video. You have to bear with me because apparently I'm still having audio issues and I'm going to have to spend some time figuring that out before I do these two interviews. So I'm not sure exactly what's going on here, but I was going to play this video of another justified shoot what I think is one of the most egregious examples that I've ever seen it's uh of a guy named Daniel Shaver and I I know everyone listening already knows this story there's a guy right here that was in a hotel Uh, I was reports that he had a rifle was pointing it out the window SWAT team shows up. I don't know if it's a SWAT team, but look like SWAT. They show up to apprehend the shooter. Guy comes out of the hotel, uh, clearly not holding a rifle. Very obvious that the guy was not holding a rifle. We know that, and comes out and is crawling on his hands and knees towards the cops, begging them not to shoot him, surrendering. Uh, very infuriating. Hey, young man, listen to my instructions, and do not make a mistake. You are to keep your legs crossed. Do you understand me? Yes, sir. You are to put both of your hands, palms down, straight out in front of you. Push yourself up to a kneeling position. the guy is then killed, obviously posing a clear, uh, cl- a clear threat to the, uh, to the officers, as you could see. In this case, he lifts up his right hand and reaches towards his waistband in his shorts. Now, my assumption is, because he did not have a weapon on him, my assumption is that because he was wearing like basketball shorts or something like that, and he was crawling on the ground and laying down, and then getting up, and then crawling around, and putting his hands up, and crawling around, uh, that he did a natural reaction, without thinking about it, uh, more than likely reaching to pull his pants up, because they were about to fall down. And that ended up being okay. The guy actually was charged with, I think, second degree, uh, maybe it came to manslaughter, so, um, and he was found not guilty, So, he did reach for his waistband, and that was okay uh, for them to kill him in that case, even though they came there because he had a rifle and he was sticking it out the window. Now, it turned out to be a BB gun. Bad idea, and I don't know if it was ever actually stuck out the window. It turned out to be a BB gun, but they were looking for a rifle. He clearly didn't have a rifle tucked in his pants. All right. This is not the only time that this has ever happened. This happens way too much. Now, what are the cops supposed to do in this situation when they have a guy who has literally already fired shots at at them, at least one that they know of, has already fired shots at them, running from them for God knows why, and then gets out of his car while it was still moving, by the way, when they got up to him and starts running. And if you see him turn around towards you or you see see him touch his waistband, he's already shot at you one time, what are you going to do? What? What are you going to do? And like what Jeff just said, that was an execution. That was, it's one of the more, I get, I'm literally getting chills right now just talking about it. It's one of the more disgusting, obvious things I've ever seen. The guy, the, Daniel, was, was crawling on the ground with his hands up. The, the commands they were giving him were extremely confusing. It's like they had no idea what they wanted him to do. And so they couldn't figure out how to get them to like just lay down. I'll walk up to you. I'll put handcuffs on you. Everything's fine. It was weird. I, I do not. I I don't understand. And yeah, maybe they were panicked. Uh, like what Matt's saying. I mean, they're these are human beings, you know. But in this case, in Akron, Ohio, the only thing that I think everyone can can truly agree on is that sixty shots, ninety shots and getting hit 60 times estimated is not necessary. But then again, if there are eight police officers and they all see the same thing at the same time and they all have the exact same training, that when they see a threat, that they're going to empty that magazine. It's it's, it's what's going to happen. Is this, is this one of those shootings that, that warrants all of the protests and all of the uproar? No. And then there's this other situation that you see, by the way, and it is... It is strange, although I, I assume we just see cherry-picked examples of the way that cops apprehend suspects. Of course, when they're white, they take them alive, and when they're black, they kill them. I need to see the stats on that, if anyone has the stats, but everyone needs to realize that um, whether or not someone is clearly surrendering and giving up, except in the course of in the uh, case of Daniel Shaver, of course, because he was clearly surrendering and giving up in that instance. Um, To me, it depends on whether or not they were actually surrendering and giving up. If someone gets out, they got their hands up, they get out, they lay lay on the ground, they do whatever. Do they follow the commands or do they not? And there could just be a, here, let me say it this way. Maybe all the white guys they apprehend are just little bitches that just lay down or put their hands up or whatever. That's probably the issue. So now let's make an abrupt shift, like a super abrupt shift. I probably won't be able to go as far as I wanted to today because I thought I fixed my audio issues, but I did not. But let's make an abrupt shift into economics with some dumb stuff. We got some stuff in here from Bernie Sanders. We got some stuff in here from uh, these uh, million-dollar printers from the Army. So let's uh, let's talk about a couple of those things. The first thing I wanted to mention was this article that I've been wanting to talk about for a bit, and I haven't had time to go into it yet. And we had this food shortage thing, this food monopoly, this baby formula scandal, and this ridiculous article that should have been done on, done on dumb bleep, dumb on dumb bleep. But I wanted to go through it today instead. It's from Counterpunch, and it says how corporate food monopolies caused the baby formula scandal. It's r- real interesting stuff. It's a tough time to be a parent of a newborn in the United States. Uh, Childcare is expensive, but the cost of all things, including baby products, is rising. COVID-19 poses a threat to children too young to be vaccinated, and there has been a months-long shortage of baby formula. All right, need to make a list of dumb things that happen. During this conversation, the formula scarcity began when the COVID-19 pandemic led to a disruption of the ingredient supply chains, the pandemic, not the reaction to the pandemic that the government's had. Then this past February, the FDA found that several leading brands produced by Abbott were contaminated with dangerous bacteria leading to a recall and a temporary closure of Abbott's main Michigan factory. The shortage has driven prices up. Yay, capitalism. From the article here, for a variety of systemic reasons that include economics, geography, and health, Black and Latino parents are disproportionately more likely to rely on formula feeding. To add to that, low-income parents of color are also disproportionately impacted by the formula shortage, as they may live in food deserts with fewer options for formula, and they may be unable to drive long distances to search other stores or pay premium prices for online shipping. There is a simple reason why such shortage has transpired. Global capitalism and the food monopolies it has fostered. Although store shelves appear to offer a wide variety of baby formulas, some with different name brands, only two companies produce more than 70% of these products. Therefore, when Abbott shuttered its Michigan plant, that single closure affected a very significant portion of the nation's stock of formula. Now, I will read you this one sentence, one sentence in the article. The US government has encouraged this monopoly by choosing to buy formula for the women, infants, and children program from Abbott alone. And then we go back to how capitalism created this giant monopoly that we're all being destroyed by. One sentence there. The U.S. government has encouraged this monopoly by choosing to buy formula for the WIC program from Abbott alone. Encouraged this monopoly by choosing to buy from one company, by taking money from a bunch of people and then using this WIC program, which, by the way, buys 50% of the formula in the U.S., and you're only allowed to use it for one company. They encouraged the monopoly just a little portion. They just had a little bit to do with it. Just a little. It's not really their fault. It's capitalism's fault. I want to thank the sponsor for today's show. That's our friend Mikkel Thurup of the Expat Money Show. You've probably heard him on this podcast before. That's back on episode 330. And if you're one of the many people who are considering exploring life in another country, you absolutely have to subscribe to the Expat Money Show. Whether it's foreign residencies, second passports, asset protection, or protecting your money from the tyranny of taxation, there is no better resource than the Expat Money Show. I mean that. Seriously. This is the guy to go to. Mikkel has spent over 20 years traveling the world, visiting more than 100 countries, while living in nine different countries over that time. He can help you legally eliminate your tax bill and, and travel the world in the process. So subscribe to the Expat Money Show today, available on all the podcast apps, YouTube, or you can find the episodes over at expatmoneyshow.com. And by the way, he's got a great online summit coming up that I'm going to put the link in the show notes to as well. A bunch of different experts who are going to show you all the benefits of living the expat lifestyle, the best ways to do it, how we can actually live a free libertarian lifestyle, That does sound pretty good. So go over to the expatmoneyshow.com and find all the links in the show notes. It's not just baby formula. It's three companies produce 81.7% of all baby food products. Four companies produce 85% of all canned tuna. Three companies 80% of all chocolate. Three companies make 78% of all pasta and so on. Now, food prices overall are sharply rising this year as inflation hits grocery suppliers. In response, manufacturers are engaging in shrinkflation, a form of theft. I'll read that again. Manufacturers are engaging in shrinkflation, a form of theft, shrinking their package sizes while maintaining the same price so as to dupe customers into believing they're paying the same amount. So... Just to get this straight, just let me clear this all out real fast. Just just real quick. If you put less of a product in a package and just say it's the same price, and the product is labeled with how much is in the package, it says how many ounces are in it says how many pieces or whatever are in it, if you do that, that's a form of theft. But taking money from people without their permission is not theft. And uh, printing a bunch of money as to steal the value of everyone's currency is not theft. But what is theft, according to this article, is when manufacturers put less of a product in a box. That is theft. Because you have a right to that amount always. That amount must come in that box. That is right. It was. It's in the Constitution... Uh, Supreme Court ruled back in 1973, the 14th Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, all those things said that each box must contain the same amount of product. It was in there. Okay, I'm not going to go any further into this. That should have been on dumb bleep. They end up talking about how what we need to do is ban corporations from merging together, from consolidating, that what we need are more local farms, local suppliers, organic suppliers. Because when we have these big chains, they're more vulnerable to disruption. Now that's an argument. It is the case that when you have one company and they've got all the, all of this distribution, that something happens to them, they can be really vulnerable to whatever the disruption is. That is true. Now I think the market would help account for that. What's hard to account for is when the government literally shuts down that distribution. When they shut down that supply chain, and then you say, well, this is because corporate monopolies have too much power. That's what it is. That's definitely the problem that I'm seeing right now. They didn't say that we need to go to all of these, to all the local farming, because that's going to be more sustainable for everyone. It's also going to be a lot more expensive. They just said that shrinkflation is theft. You know, think that going to all local farms is not going to be expensive? You can you can get stuff from farmers markets. I'm sure not everywhere, but it's possible. But that's going to be a lot more expensive. When you grow organically, you know how much lower the crop yield is per acre? If you're just going to do it organically, yeah, you're going to have to raise the prices on all that stuff. But that's going to be better for everyone. It's just this idea that people have, oh, we all need to go to our local farmer and get stuff from our local farmer. Hey, Obviously, I love farmers. I grew up in a farm family. All right. My brother's a farmer. My dad's a farmer. My grandpa's a farmer. So not that I hate farmers, but arguing that, they, that we can't consolidate or that companies can't buy up more companies because that's what led to our problems is kind of ignoring a pretty big problem that we have, as is the case with most economic problems. This can be traced back to corporate greed. The solutions are simple and can be easily enacted if there is a political will to do so. That's great. That's great stuff. Next thing, real quick. The Army thinks printers cost over $1 million. That's a weird headline from Reason. The Army thinks printers cost over $1 million. Now, we've talked a lot about how maybe we don't have to spend $800 billion a year on the military. Now, clearly, what that means is that we hate troops and that we want them to basically be starving to death and not have any clothes to wear while they're out there on the, on the battlefield. That's, that is the only option. If you think that the military budget needs to go down, it means that you think people in the military shouldn't be able to eat three MREs a day. That's, that is what you're talking about cutting. Maybe there's other stuff. I don't know. Maybe there's other things. So from Reason, thanks for the great article Reason, link will be in the show notes, the the Army failed to properly account for tens of millions of dollars worth of equipment, according to the DOD's internal watchdog. The report released last week by the DOD Office of the Inspector General detailed the results of a recent audit of military bases in Kuwait. Specifically, the audit intended to determine whether the Army effectively accounted for government-furnished property, GFP. The audit focused on two bases, Camp John and Camp Buring. Interesting tidbit of information. I've been to both of those bases before. I was not in the military, but if first time listening, used to play music. One of the things I did was uh, do some tours for Armed Forces Entertainment. And I've been to both of those bases in Kuwait. It was a fun time. It was good. In 2010, a contractor, not named... Was awarded seventy-five million dollars to provide operations and security support to both bases, including food and housing, payroll, fire protection, security protection, law enforcement, and transportation. Some of those people probably took took care of us while we were in Kuwait. We had uh, some former Blackwater guys taking us around everywhere. One random thing was we we stayed at <laughs> maybe they maybe some maybe too much money was spent on this kind of thing. They got the nicest hotel in Kuwait. And, which is really nice, got the entire floor of the hotel for us with the security staying in the rooms by the elevators and drove us around everywhere that we went. Maybe a little bit too, we could have just stayed in some bunks on the base, but I don't know. We were more than willing to do it for him. (laughs) According to the contractor's records... In that time, it received more than $108 million in GFP from the Army, such as printers, refrigeration units, and vehicles, but the audit found that according to the Army's records, it had given the contractor nearly $157 million worth of equipment. And, counterintuitively, despite the total dollar amount being 50% higher, the Army recorded having provided 23,000 fewer individual items. For the items that could be checked, the audit found costs that differed widely, for example, Contractor received 12 printers, each estimated the cost up to $400. The Army's records listed the printers at $1.1 million each for a total discrepancy of over $13.5 million for the 12 printers. The contractor also received 17 refrigeration units, which it logged at a little over $24,000 a piece. The Army recorded a cost of over $650,000 per refrigerator. Overall, for the sixty one. Items, they only audited 61 items at two military bases in Kuwait. 61 items at two military bases in Kuwait. The report found a discrepancy of $65 million. Here's the thing. When they go back to ask for money in the budget for the next year, what amount do you think they ask for? And then what amount do you think they ask for the next year? They've always got to use the entire budget, and they got to use more than that because they have to ask for more money. And so you had these discrepancies in the accounting where it shows that actually they spent way more money than what they actually did, meaning they need to ask for that amount of money the next year, actually a little bit more than that, because they can, as you can see, we run about 50% over cost anyway. I guarantee you there's billions and billions to hundreds of billions of dollars that could be trimmed out of our yearly budget for the Department of Defense. And we could still have the same military we have right now. There is a shit ton of waste that is occurring and you don't have to cut the pay of the people in the military. You don't have to give them worse food or give them worse housing. You just have to figure out stuff like this that's going on everywhere. This is 61 items at two military bases in Kuwait and they had a discrepancy of 65 million. And I I might be wrong on the fact that that's what they're going to request the next time, but my assumption is that is going to aid in the amount that they are going to say they need in the budget the next time. I would guess. Just a just a little guess right there. <laughs> nice. Nice gift, Jeff, from the Big Short. I like it. Okay. One more thing here before we go. Bernie Sanders. We haven't talked about him in a bit. We haven't talked about him in a while. I kind of missed him a little bit. Bernie Sanders wants to force airlines to refund passengers for flights that are delayed over one hour. There's another one from Reason. I found two good ones on there today. Bernie Sanders wants to force airlines to refund passengers for flights that are delayed over one hour. So does that mean that they don't have to complete the flight either? Just go ahead and ask that question now. they got to give the refund, but they still have to complete the job. Last week, B.S. sent a letter to the Transportation Secretary, Pete Buttigieg, promising that the federal government take immediate action, proposing that the federal government take immediate action to reduce flight cancellations and delays that have been inconveniencing American travelers this summer. According to Sanders, the U.S. government ought to fine airlines $55,000 per passenger for each flight that the airline cancels due to staffing shortages. find the airlines $55,000 per passenger per flight that the airline cancels because of staffing shortages. Airlines ought to be fined by the government $27,000 per passenger for each domestic flight delayed over two hours where passengers must sit in a chair, on the tarmac. And $15,000 per passenger for each domestic flight delayed by more than two hours, if tarmac loitering is not a factor. That's if they have to sit in a different chair. For flights delayed by merely one hour, Sanders wants the federal government to force airlines to give passengers refunds. Now, I do think you're right there, Magoo. Probably a clever way for the government to try and get their COVID payouts back from the airlines. Um, This is a ridiculous idea. But listen, the airlines want to make money. They do want to make money. And they actually, they also want to get their stock values back up. By the way, you're still talking about airlines that are, uh, for instance, Delta is still down 50% from the COVID crash. They're high... Their height of their market cap was 46 billion. They're down at 18 billion right now. Um, they want to do a better job, but they are dealing with staffing shortages, some of them caused by maybe some mismanagementism. Maybe they were given a bunch of free money and they made some stupid decisions because they were given a bunch of free money. Hey, let's not give them that free money. That'd be an idea. And let's also not shut down their industry at the same time. Maybe let's not require everyone to uh be vaccinated that's flying or working for any of these airlines. Uh, that, that could also be another idea. Sanders, a man of the people, is reacting to the fact that summer air travel has been a hot mess. Prices have surged, reflecting pent-up demand that has rebounded from the COVID era, while some airlines have cut routes and most have struggled with staffing shortages. In Atlanta, 400 Delta pilots spent this past holiday weekend picketing protesting what they say are subpar working conditions. All right. So I'm not going to try to, you know, I'm sure it's hard. It's hard to be a pilot and you probably got to work some crazy hours and you got to do a lot of work, a lot of stuff to get to that point. But let's be honest here. I'm looking up several websites here, the salaries, depending on your experience and what plane you're flying, but you're ranging from a hundred K to 500 K a year, depending on how long you've been flying as a pilot. And, um, that seems like a pretty cool job. I don't know. I'm sure there's a lot of government BS you have to deal with, but this is really a, uh, this is a really, this is a union thing that's happening because it doesn't matter if they're making a hundred to 500 K a year. The The union, what unions want is more, even if they're paying them 500, a few years later, they'll be picketing because it's not 750. And so that's another part of what we're dealing with right now is this massive, massive union issue. And we got 400 Delta pilots picketing over the holiday weekend and they want better working conditions. Nicer chairs. I don't know. What do you, what do you do? what do you do about that? We need to raise our minimum pay to starting at 250 K instead of starting at hundred K to make this fair, basically slaves Uh, people, you know, people back in the 17, 1800s, they had no idea how hard we were going to have it. And, um, and I just don't even know if this is worth it anymore. So anyway, that's not going to, it's not going to solve the problem. Y'all that's, that's actually just going to put the airlines out of business if they were to do that. And I'll go back to my original question. If you have to refund all the passengers because you had an hour wait on the tarmac, does that mean you don't have to complete the flight? If you get to that hour wait, because you have to give everyone back their money that they paid for the flight, so you have to complete a free flight after that, where you don't get paid any money to magically fly a metal tube across the country? You just got to do it for free because it took over an hour? Jeez, who, who else is dealing with crazy shipping delays right now. They're just shipping people. Everyone's got shipping delays right now. They just ship people, you know? Jeez, I ordered a table for my kitchen in January. Still not here. I, I don't know where that thing is. I don't even think it's real. I don't think Ashley Furniture, I think it's a front for money laundering probably. It's probably a giant drug criminal organization because I don't think I'm ever getting that damn table. But when they do get it to me, like, do I get a refund but I still get to keep the table? Now, should you get a discount because of the inconvenience? If it wasn't, if you weren't warned about it, that there could be a possibility. But these days, we all know that there's possibilities. And, you know, baby Jesus, help us. I mean, oh, God, you had to sit. This just reminds me of the Louis C.K. joke that I'm sure a lot of you have heard. But, I mean, good Lord, y'all, sitting in a chair, you know, you had to sit in a chair on the runway, really? on your phone. You have to sit in the chair on the runway on your phone. There's no reason to pay for that. Okay. That's ridiculous. We can't stand for this. It's not even worth it anymore. Why would we even do this? Okay. I think that's all I'm going to cover today because I got to figure out what the heck is wrong with the soundboard. Thank you to everyone for hanging out. If you enjoyed this episode, then tell a friend, tell a family member, tell the children, tell all of them that they need to listen to good morning Liberty on a semi-daily basis because that's where they get all of their liberty goodness, especially from me. Probably not Charlie. Just tell them about me, okay? But warn them about Charlie. So maybe you do have to mention him. I don't know. So do that. Go to joingmail.com so you can hang out live, as you can tell. I've been talking back and forth with the people in the group. And so it's always nice to have a group of people you can bounce ideas off of and can throw stuff at you and throw a lot of hate at Charlie. We very, very much appreciate what all of you guys are doing in there. And so, if you enjoyed it, do all the things I just said, and we will be back tomorrow with a live episode, and we got a couple interviews that are going to be coming out. Until then, y'all have a good day, and a good morning. Liberty.